And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, spending this time together with me. I look forward to it every day. Start of a new hour. David Wheaton's going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Mark Rutland's written a fantastic book called Courage to be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. That's going to be the hour. I think it's going to be a really good hour. I'm looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What a great passage. I'm going to take a little break, and then David Wheaton's going to be joining me in 60 seconds. You should know by now that music means David Wheaton is my guest. He's the um, author and host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his show. He's authored a couple books, University of Destruction, Your Game Plan for Spiritual Victory on Campus. I can't think of a more important time to be getting your hands on that book than right now for your ones that have gone off to college. And another book called My Boy Ben, A Story of Love, Loss, and Grace. David, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, Bill. Good to talk with you today. Thank you so much. All right, let's talk about how this generation, Generation Z and Millennials, they don't think so much about things like patriotism and faith and having children and all that kind of stuff, do they? No, they don't. And that was uh, according to a recent poll. Now, it's, I know it's easy to hear about polls. and There's all different kinds of polls. But I actually think this one's a very significant poll. This one just came out in late August. So just about a week ago was done by the Wall Street Journal and NBC News. And it was titled Generational and Party Divisions Over American Values. And so as you were mentioning, Bill, they polled younger people who they call millennials or Generation Z. So those are people basically 18 to 38. So let's just say under 40. And then they also polled what they call the silent generation or baby boom generation, that's over 55, 55 to 90 years old. So young people, older people. Now, they didn't pull people my age, so I'm not exactly sure why. But anyway, <laughs> that's for a different discussion. Yeah, right. And they also polled Democrats versus Republicans uh, on these same questions. And so the poll went like this. They said the percentage of people who say the following are, quote, very important and so let's just take younger versus older here first. On the issue of patriotism, only 42% of younger people think patriotism is very important, while 79% of older people think patriotism is important, okay? Wow. Couple That's more a metrics. That's a big, the, uh, here's the biggest one. I'll give you the biggest one second. Okay. Bele- belief in God. Only 30% of young people think belief in God is, quote, very important versus 65 percent, which actually doesn't seem that high to me, even that, Mm -hmm. uh, very important for people over 55 years old. Here's the next one. Having children. Is that very important? Only 32 percent of the younger generation thinks having children is very important. So a third, just under a third versus 58 percent of those older, over 55. A couple other ones. Uh, the issue of tolerance for others. This is where the, the it flips, where the younger generation has, thinks tolerance for others, and I suppose it would define how you, no matter how you define the word tolerance, that, that word is defined many different ways by different people. You know, I, I would define tolerance as 
respecting the rights of others to have their own viewpoint and, and not physically assaulting them for doing so. No, you, you tolerate what I believe, I tolerate what you believe. That's not the definition of tolerance today. Tolerance has the sense of affirmation to me. When you tolerate someone, that means you never say anything bad about someone, you don't disagree with them, you don't do anything that will make them feel uncomfortable. That's the younger generation of tolerance. But anyway, that gets down, again, down a, a rabbit trail here. But anyway, the tolerance issue of being tolerant of others, very important for 82% of young people, and about the same for older people, 80%. So these, these things are big categories on traditional American values of patriotism, belief in God, the importance of having children, intolerance for others. And you can see there's a huge spread between the younger generation and the older generation. All right. This doesn't seem like good news. It seems like bad news. <laughs> yes. And I, I think there's a quote in this poll that I read from the Washington Examiner or someone who was um, who was uh, quoted. And it was a guy named Bill uh, McInturf is his name. He said, quote, there's an emerging America where issues like having children, religion or belief in God and patriotism are far less important. And in America, it's the emerging or younger generation that calls the shots about where the country is headed. Now, think about that. I mean, this is if, if this poll is accurate, and there's no reason to think it's not, this is extremely bad news and does not bode well for our country, our churches, and individuals who make up this country. Because if you think about it, these issues, let's just say belief in God, having children, or patriotism, now maybe another word for that is nationalism, you know, appreciating your own nation state. These three things are just fundamentally institutions that God established from the very beginning. I mean, just take the belief in God one. I mean, you don't think that's important? Someone doesn't think that's important? I mean, that is the most important thing about any person. You've, often, you've heard it said, Bill, that the most important thing about a person is their view of God and whether it's accurate. So mm -hmm. to not actually believe in God, like Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is a, this is a, you can't even emphasize how, how important this actually is, that this is the direction of the country. The, the first verses of the Bible start out establishing this very fact. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's not even a, there's not an apologetic made there like, oh, here's why, here's the evidence that God exists. It's just, this is what happens. God exists. It's it's so manifestly obvious by creation around us. There's no there's not even an establishment of, well, here's why he exists. It's just he exists. And then two verses later, not only does God exist, it says in verse three, third sentence of the Bible, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we not only have a God who exists, but we have a God who speaks, not a dead God, not an, not an impersonal God. And this is so incredibly important to everything in life, because if God doesn't exist and God doesn't speak, well, we can all just do what's right in our own eyes. We can just make up our own values. We have no foundation. There's no basis for what we know is right and wrong. The Bible is all inaccurate. It doesn't matter. It's just, a, it's just the words of man. That is so big and it bodes so poorly for the country when you have a large portion of our society, the younger generation under 40, under 40 years old, only 30% believe that belief in God is important. Wow. David, is this the America that is emerging or has it already emerged? Oh, I think it's already emerged. Okay. I, I think this is this actually was not surprising to me. I'm 50 years old, and so I'm kind of in the middle of this 
between these two generations. So I saw my parents' generation, the type of values they had and these kind of things they held, a belief in God and the importance of, of marriage and having children and being patriotic. I mean, that was the that was the, what the, you know, Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, the World War II generation. That's all changing. And that is, I think, extremely troubling for the future of this country, because whether it's individual people or whether it's nations, you see this throughout history. You see it in the Bible, in the Old Testament, even with the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. When God, when his very existence and then his commands written in Scripture, when they're rejected, things go very, very badly for individuals and for and for nations. As a matter of fact, you could say that everything that bad that happens in the world is always a result of rejecting God and his word, what he stated clearly in Scripture. So God's commands may be optional from a standpoint of we have a choice. He's given us a choice whether we want to obey them or not, but they're not inconsequential. In other words, there's always consequence to whether we choose to obey or reject God's commands. Mm -hmm. David, is this emerging America? Are they proud to be an American? No, and I think that's another one that I think is is changing, especially— uh, this poll shows that, especially even within uh, evangelicals in the younger generation. And I think you have to ask why. Why is that changing? Why isn't patriotism as important to to the younger generation anymore? And I think that's probably directly as a result of the fact that of our educational system, which has much more of a globalistic worldview, sees the importance of being a citizen of the globe, of the world, and not so much as being a citizen of the United States of America. And so you see this, that there's a push in our country, and it's really, uh, you can see this politically, the uh, the Democrat Party pushes so much for an international uh, consensus and in unhindered immigration in the country. They have a globalistic uh, view that the world would be better if we were all united, not in individual nation states, but if we were united under global leadership and global alliances, whereas those who are more conservative don't believe that. And you go back to Scripture and say, well, where, where, where does the Bible stand on that particular issue? I think the Bible is very clear. Right in the early chapters of Genesis, once again, you had the, the tower of the story of the, 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 the true story of the count of the Tower of Babel. And it's a very interesting passage. If you read this, God is making the case here for nation states, not for the uniting together of people in some global alliance, because when man, sinful man, gets together— he doesn't think he needs God anymore, and he wants to be his own God. But God broke that up at the Tower of Babel when men said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What did God do, Bill? He came down. He saw this. He knew this was going to be trouble if man united together. He changed the languages miraculously of these people. People were spread out across the face of the earth. And that's how the modern nation state, tribal state, you could call it whatever, was started, where there was separation of the sinful natures of mankind by national boundaries. Nationalism, in the biblical sense, is a good thing. Globalism, where the, the world's united, is where everything ends up badly, where the Antichrist rules in a wicked way in the end. Wow. David, let me take a little break. David Wheaton is my guest, host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org. We'll take a short break and be right back.
right, I wasn't gone long. David Wheaton is my guest. He's an author. He's host of The Christian Worldview. Go to the ChristianWorldview.org. And David, I just had some couple of text messages coming in. I sent you one already. Another one is from our listening friend, Terry. He said, with the falling away from the Christian faith among the young, and especially with the college students, what does he make of the small segment of collegiate athletes and their strong, sometimes outspoken faith? I love that. I, do too. <laughs> I love it because it, it's it's so difficult. It, it, there's a lot of pressure to conform, uh, not only for you know adults in our society today, but especially in that in that age group. There's the peer pressure, and there's the sports culture, and there's the American culture. That's that's again, like we we're talking about in this poll. That's that's pushing away, pushing away belief in God and patriotism and and traditional fundamental institutions that that God established. So you can imagine the courage that it takes to stand up and be bold about your belief in God and his word and his son. And, uh, you know, I just think that's a powerful witness and testimony in our society. So I, I just, I just respect that and love that. And, uh, you have to think that there's a cost to that. Mm-hmm. And those young athletes, uh, they must've counted the cost to realize that I'm not necessarily going to be popular with, you know, people around me or with, uh, people who, who uh, watch these sports. I mean, think of the, even the example of Tim Tebow. I mean, a lot of people loved him, but a lot of people hated him uh, for his, the Christian stances he took. But uh, I greatly respect that. And they're using their platform uh, for, for positively being an ambassador and a testimony for Christ. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about this divide now between the older generation and the younger. David, why has this even happened? Yeah, I think I think there's actually a lot of factors. It's, it, you know, there's never really a silver bullet. Oh, there's the one point, and that's why this has all happened. Just add all of these things together. This sort of stew that's been stirred over the last, let's say, 50 to 60 years in this country. You know, there's been a weakening of churches. Uh, there's been a, a, a not a preaching of the full counsel of God. It's become a kind of a be-blessed evangelical Christianity where we preach about the positive things. We've talked about this previously on the show, Bill. Uh, and, and not the you're not giving an accurate per, uh, accurate view of who God is. Yeah, we talk about His love and His compassion, and His forgiveness, and those are true, and that's absolutely needs to be preached because that's the God of the Bible. But there's also a God of the Bible who who tells us to be obedient, to pursue sanctification, holiness. That He's a just judge. That He's wrathful over sin. That there's a literal heaven. There's a literal hell. Those things, those harder truths of Scripture have been largely left out in most, not all, in most evangelical churches uh, today. And so there's a preaching of only one side of God, which really isn't really, that, that's really bad, actually. That's not just leaving something out. That's worse than that, because you're misrepresenting actually who God is. I heard the pastor say one time, soft preaching leads to hard hearts. Hard preaching, preaching the hard truths of Scripture, leads to soft hearts. I think that's very true. So in the churches, there's been a softening, a weakening of the preaching of the Word of God. And then secondly, in the culture, there's just a, there's a, perme- there's just a, I think there's a, a dynamic of, of the permeation of sin in a society. This is the way it works. There's the sinful nature of mankind. It permeates a society, the influence of the world. It's kind of like the default direction of mankind, as we were talking about back there in the Tower of Babel, when people get together— when they reject God, when they reject his word, then this is the direction things go. And so it impacts everything, Bill. It impacts the, the entertainment industry. It impacts the uh, the educational system. So kids are just marinated in this type of things. These This type of worldview 
And when there's not an offsetting or a pushing back of this godless worldview going on in churches, and especially the home, when that's not taking place, well, it just replicates itself, and one generation follows the other, and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, there's this great passage there where Moses has give, given Israel, the, the Jewish people, the law of God. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And he goes into saying, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You've heard this passage. Then he says in verse 7, you shall teach these things diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's from Deuteronomy 6. And in the, in the, the explanation here is that there's going to be a big pushback against the commands of God. And you're going to need to remind these things to your kids all the time. You have to push back. You're not going to be able to sit and watch TV every night and take what the world is offering you in television or in the movies or everywhere else. You're going to have to teach the commands of God to your kids. They're going to have to be reminders all over your home because there's going to be such a strong influence from the world that's going to try to pull them away from this. Amen. So, David, there's got to be, I know there's probably some positives in all this and maybe some opportunities we need to look for. There are. I, I think there are positives because God is always a God of good news, of opportunity, of forgiveness, of repentance, of change, of turnaround, 180-degree U-turns. This is the God of the Bible. And so, you know, you look at this and you think, well, boy, the society's getting darker. Well, maybe it is. But you know what that meant? When the society gets darker, the gospel and the Christian faith and the doctrines of Scripture and who God is becomes a much more stark contrast. So there's a huge opportunity here as there's a darkening or a turning away from God and some of the fundamental institutions that God established in our society by the younger generation, that there's an opportunity there that these things, when you follow those ways, they don't lead to a satisfying, fulfilling life. They lead to emptiness, and they lead to consequence. And so when you have people going that direction, when they actually, when those of heading that direction actually feel that sting of sin and the, the, the feeling of emptiness of going the wrong way in life, you know, the gospel becomes very, very attractive to someone who's been stung uh, by the sin in the world. You know, Jesus said in John 4, I love this passage, where the disciples asked him, you know, do you want something to eat? And he says, my food, he's not worried about food so much. He says, my food to eat that you don't, do not know about is that is that to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said, do you not say there are yet four months, like thinking about food, and then comes the harvest? Here's what Jesus said. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're white for harvest. He's talking about a spiritual harvest. And there's a spiritual harvest all around us and right here in America. You know, you may be called to go to the farthest reaches part of the globe, and that's awesome and amazing if you do. But there are unbelievable uh, unbelievers and spiritual needs all around us. And so I think as Christians, we need to pursue sanctification, holiness in our own life. We need to draw near to God so we can have be strengthened in our faith in him. And then we need to pray and take every opportunity just as we go about our day to try to look for opportunities and take opportunities to explain what the gospel is, who God is, um, to take those opportunities and, and explain to people with, with truth and grace who God is and how we can be right with him through Christ. Yeah. David, we just got a couple of minutes left, and I know the 2019 Christian Worldview uh, Golf and Dinner events coming up on the 16th of September. 
and it's a absolutely a class act. Yep. You don't even have to be a, a golfer to attend. You can just come for the dinner, can't you? You can. So we have two events coming up, and we'd love to invite your listeners and have some of them come. We have our speaker series event right. on Sunday, September 15th. That's at 7 p.m. at Grace Church Eden Prairie. And the topic is going to be social justice by a guest you've had on your program before, Daryl Harrison. He's just fantastic on the topic. And uh, that's a very, very highly relevant topic in today's country and also the church. And uh, that event is free. You don't even need to register. Just come to Grace Church on Sunday, September 15th at 7 p.m. The next night is the event you're talking about, our annual golf and dinner event. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you don't need to be a golfer. We, if, if you want to be a golfer, it's a great event at Woodhill Country Club. It's one of the best courses around. So that's available. But the dinner event, a lot of listeners love to come to that and just enjoy the evening. We're going to be interviewing Daryl Harrison that evening. And uh, they can find out more about these events at our website, thechristianworldview.org. Yeah, so a reminder again that Sunday night at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, that starts at mm-hmm. 7 p.m.? Mm-hmm. September 15th, yep. Yep, and that's uh, you will be hosting Daryl Harrison there, and you can go for free, right? Yep, for free, no cost, no registration. remind everybody, and that's Grace Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, worth the drive. Uh, David, thanks so much for doing the show, as always. Thank you, Bill. Yep. Thank you, Bill. Yep. David Wheaton's been my guest, of course, host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about what's coming up on September 15th and 16th. We'll take a short break, and then Pastor Mark Rutland is going to be joining me. to be welcoming Mark Rutland to the show. He's written a book called Courage to be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. And just as I start to read the description of the book, it talks about uh, the time a, a pastor from a nearby church visited Mark, and the man was pretty quiet. He sipped his coffee, introduced himself, was, you know, polite. And and in, in the moments when the man seemed kind of at a loss for words, Mark thought maybe he was just a little bit reserved, maybe a little Presbyterian reserve in him. Two hours later, after he left Mark's office, this pastor who came to visit him put a gun in his mouth and killed himself. And, of course, that kind of shocking news uh, hits everybody. Um, his, of course, his wife, his congregation, and then, last but not least, uh, Mark, who has written a book called Uh, courage to be healed because he highlights that an often misunderstood truth is becoming a Christian does not guarantee inner healing. So it's finding hope to restore the soul. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be back again. You always do such a generous interview. Well, you're just, you're awesome. I mean, your King David book is one of my favorites of all time. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I loved writing that book and uh, and this book seems to have just taken off like a shot. I think it we had um, the largest first day sales of any book I've ever written. Well, that's nice. I like that. But let's, um, you know, obviously the, the episode with this pastor must have been brutal. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Well, yes. I mean, it just leaves one completely uh, shocked and struggling. Did I miss something? Mm-hmm. Was there was there something I was supposed to do? Uh, even when he left the office, my secretary said, what do you think that was about? And, you know, I just uh, later on, I just felt I, maybe I should have said something, maybe. But as far as I, I've searched my mind, I, I never got any kind of a clue from him that something was really wrong. But obviously, in retrospect, he, he there must have been some hope that I would say something or something. What it made me realize is there are there are serious Christian people, I, I, and that's the thing we've made a mistake. Somebody does something like that, you think, you know, they're lost. But there are Christian people that are suffering with inner wounds, damaged emotions that they are they are not getting well off. And that's that's my purpose in writing the book. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what inner healing is. I mean, are those emotional wounds? What what are those? Yeah, emotional wounds can be a, a, a major part of it. It is it is any way in which the emotional, uh, mental emotional uh, bank, the spiritual bank of a human being is out of whack. Uh, one of the things that psychology, one of the words that psychologists use is balanced. So when something is off balance, if you have a ferry that's loaded with cars and it gets off balance, it can pip and the whole thing can be spilled. A life that is that is toxic is the is the another way to say it, and that's actually the phrase that I use most in the book is that it uh, you, know, you meet these people and they're just angry or they're sullen or they're filled with self-pity or they're something. And the easy answer has always been they're not serious about their faith. And that is simply not enough of an answer. Mm-hmm. There's something else. Something else needs to be done, healed, fixed, addressed. And and the reason for the title of the book is what that takes is courage. Yeah. Mark, you know, I always... I spring to Isaiah 61, talks about the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. There's a lot of people with that inner healing that needs to be, the brokenheartedness needs to be fixed, doesn't it? Need to be healed. Yes, that's exactly right. And that that brokenheartedness can be the result of something that someone else did uh, to you, that you did. The sense of abandonment, the sense of rejection, the sense of of uh, of unresolved condemnation, guilt, mm-hmm. and and fears that arise. I I've identified what I believe are the five major toxic streams in in the human life: shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. And I I believe that almost all toxicity, in one way or another, falls under those five titles. Okay, I like that. I want to go through this a little bit slower. Let's talk about what's, what makes us toxic to others. Is, this, is it behavior? Is it thoughts? Is it beliefs? What is it? Uh, all right, that's a very good question. What makes us toxic to others is always behavior. Okay. What makes, what makes us toxic inside of us may not be behavior. In other words, we may have some kind of... Uh, uh, Herculean control over our behavior, but inside that toxicity is bubbling and bubbling and bubbling, uh, and and it, but nobody else knows it until it comes out in terms of behavior. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, I want to go that past that Presbyterian pastor that you that you just talked about. Okay, that 
that didn't happen that afternoon. Something was wrong. Something was wrong for a long time. Oh, oh yes, for sure. And but it that toxicity didn't blow out. Probably everybody in this church said, "I had no idea. I had no idea. No idea." So the answer to your question, you're exactly right. Is when it makes when the toxicity hits somebody else, it's in terms of behavior. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to talk more about um, these tox these toxins and what the five that you have identified. Can we just go through these one more time? Absolutely. Shame. Shame. Uh, which, which I believe is, is probably the bitterest toxin of all. Mm-hmm. Un, unforgiveness. So that's toward others. Rejection. Um, condemnation is then, therefore, unforgiveness for myself. And fear. Shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. All right, so when people live with condemnation after God has completely forgiven them, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, what is at the root of somebody still living with that kind of condemnation? Good. Uh, You use the word root, and that's a very good word. I always, what I'm using in, in my teaching on it now and in this book is thrown. Every toxin, you remember in Ezekiel, it talks about the river of life flows out from under the, the altar. Yes. I believe these toxic rivers flow out from under what I call dark thrones or strongholds. Some, some, something where these toxins flow from. And so for, for condemnation, that, that throne, that, that uh, stronghold is actually idolatry. It is placing my self-analysis over God's analysis. Mm -hmm. So you've heard people say, I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. That actually, I I don't mean to sound harsh, but that actually is an astonishingly arrogant statement. Oh, it's terribly arrogant, because you're basically saying that my understanding of forgiveness is superior to God's is better than God's, that I'm a more righteous judge than the God of the universe. So, And we both say that with gentleness, don't we, Mark? Oh, I I try to. Oh, no, no, I'm trying to say it with gentleness as well. Yes, and it's just such a, it's such a toxin that people live with it all the time. So each of these, each of these toxins flows out of a throne, and each of the thrones is torn down with a therapy. So the therapy that tears down the throne of idolatry is is worship, and not not just I'm not just talking about singing in church. I'm talking about uh, getting God in the right place in our lives. That worship is is what destroys idolatry. We cannot you cannot worship God either a false god or worship God as other than He is. That's the two forms of idolatry. Mm-hmm. So to worship God as he really is, is the, is the therapy that destroys the throne of idolatry from which condemnation flows. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about the toxin of rejection a little bit more, Mark? Yes. Good. Rejection, uh, and rejection is probably the subtlest of all the toxins, and yet it may actually inform a great deal of the way people react to one another. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever encountered someone who uh, who seems to almost 
do things, say things to cause you to reject them. They are actually um, flowing in that toxin. Their rejection is flowing in them, and so they are actually causing it, flowing in that rejection. They're causing it to happen to them over and over and over again to reinforce their own understanding. Rejection flows from the throne of doubt. I doubt who God is. I doubt love. I doubt his presence. All rejection flows from that. And as a, and it is the result of some doubt which is created in me in life. Uh, abandonment. My father deserts me. My mother leaves me. Uh, some way in which I project onto who God is the wound of rejection in my life. And so- and the therapy for that is the opposite, is yeah. trust. Yeah. Let me say this. This might be dumb. Um, but when it comes to rejection, does this make sense that I might try to make myself rejectionable before you can reject me? Yes. No, that's not dumb. Okay, good. That is pre- actually, you're, <laughs> saying it, you're saying exactly what I'm trying to say. I, I actually energize making you reject me. I yes. do something. Yes, exactly. In order to make you reject me because that toxin is so is so strong in my life that I'm actually reinforcing it all the time. Yeah. There's there's the other a def- way, the yeah. other way is I imagine it when it isn't there. Yeah. I imagine I imagine that you are rejecting me even when you're not because the toxin has overpowered my ability to analyze how you really treat me. Oh, that's really interesting, Mark. That's really interesting. I'm pausing right now. You can say something, but I'm pausing <laughs> because there's a there a person has a defense wall, and it's yeah. they're so full of the toxin of rejection that they're they're it's so counterproductive, isn't it? Oh, it's it, and that's what I say. It's high, it's highly subtle because yeah. uh, people may not even be aware of that toxin in their lives, but but the fact of the matter is, it informs relationships with a great deal of suspicion and doubt and confusion because I'm constantly either imagining that you are rejecting me or causing you to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Now, the, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, well, please. I was going to say each, each of these things, what I, what I wanted to come out of this book is not just to get to the cause or even the destruction, whatever. What are we after? That's what I find so much counseling misses is not just to get to the bad thing and wallow around in it. What is the desired outcome? So what, what do we want? Instead of rejection, fine, it's fine to say I'm struggling with the toxin of rejection, but what, what does the therapy of trust replace it with? And that's acceptance. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 1 says I'm accepted in the beloved one. I'm accepted in the beloved. So if I learn to trust who God is, I can learn that he has accepted me. If I'm accepted by God, no one can reject me. So the toxin of rejection begins to dry up because of the acceptance of God. Well, it seems like rejection sticks in your DNA, though. It's like it, it can be with you for a lifetime. Oh, oh it's a, it, all, of these, um, all of these can be a constant life struggle. Yes. And, and it's one of the reasons everybody, this is, this is one of the things I want to say about in the book, too, is everybody has gunk in their gears. All of us are getting well from something. 
and 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 that's the reason I want to write the book. It just because you're struggling with a hidden shame, or uh, or you're struggling to forgive your ex-business partner that cheated you, it doesn't mean you're lost or undone or finished. It means you need to get well. Mm. Jesus, Jesus didn't hate sick people. He healed sick people. Yeah. Let me take a little break. Mark Rutland's my guest. The book we're talking about is his new book called Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. Mark Rutland, once again, my guest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Mark Rutland is my guest. He's written a book called Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. And during the break, Mark, I hope you drank at least four cups of coffee because i got a lot of questions <laughs> still to ask, and we and we got to move quickly. So, Fire away. Yeah, I just had a, a call, a text come in from a listener. Can you comment on the use of medication, chemical imbalance, et cetera? How does it fit? What should be done? Uh, what should be done before that? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I'm I'm not dealing with anything uh, medicinal or chemical in okay. this at all. I'm only dealing with the issues of counseling and inner healing based on scriptural um, process therapy. But uh, I would say this: if you are under the care of someone who prescribes and it and it's working and it's helping for you, I I don't I don't see those things as contradictory. I I see one as helping you to stay calm enough and together enough to even deal with the therapy. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, you talk about Jesus uh, healing the paralyzed man in Luke 5. Would you take us through that pa- passage and then tell us what, what it reveals to us? Yeah. Actually, it's one of the basis of the whole book. Uh, you hear a million sermons on that passage of Scripture, the man lowered through the rooftop. They will always be about one of two subjects, both of which are valid. The supernatural power of Jesus to heal certainly a valid theme, and the faith of his four friends to lure him through the rooftop. But what I began to see, at some point they were up on that rooftop. They tied the ropes around the corner of his blanket, and they're about to lower him into that room. And they look at him and say, are you ready? At that moment, their faith is not the issue. It's his courage. What if they drop him? What if he's rejected? What if the people in the room laugh at him? We know that Jesus healed him, but what if Jesus says, get that, get that thing out of here? Yet another rejection, yet another humiliation. So at some point, he decided that the courage of the short-term risk was worth the long-term benefit. And I, I believe after 50 years of ministry that the people who most likely get healed of inner issues are those that have the courage to face the truth. Hmm. That courage may be a greater variable than faith. Yeah. All right. So there's many people listening right now that think, I bet I need some um, inner healing and I need to have courage. What's going to keep us from getting healed? Is it going to be sin, our own, our own will? What is it, Mark? Well, one of the things that keeps us from getting healed is getting into a place where we get healed. Uh, getting with somebody, being honest. Um, look, if if you're at odds with everybody in your family, why don't we face the fact that the only constant amidst all those variables is you? Why, why do you spend your whole life blaming your brother-in-law? 
why not allow the Holy Spirit to hold the mirror up and say, here's what we need to deal with. Then sit down with somebody, a professional, pastor somebody, and say, okay, look, I'm tired of this. I can't go on this way, and I'm afraid of where this toxic life will take me. And and begin to allow someone to process with you. Sin, I, I never minimize sin. Sin is an issue. It's a terrible thing. But often, uh, you know, here's a discovery I've made that I found a little discouraging. Maybe it will be to you. Not everybody wants you healed. I, I, I had a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. There are some people that don't want you healed. Your infirmity makes them feel better about themselves. Gives them purpose. Uh, Yes, some people don't want you healed because it confirms something they believe to be true about God, that God's a tough God or that he's punishing. Some people don't want you healed. They want you punished. Mm. Wow. You know the story of the, of the rooftop that we just talked about, man on the rooftop? There is one word in that passage that I missed for decades, and it's the word them. It says Jesus was in a room with all of these high-class religious leaders. It says Pharisees and doctors of the law, and the power of God was present to heal them, and I missed it for years. Wow. The power of God was present to heal them, but none of them got healed, and they didn't want the guy on the rooftop healed. So there are just people who who don't want to see the healing power of grace flow in somebody's life. They, mm. they want them broken with shame and unforgiveness. Mm. Mark, maybe you could encourage the listeners um, who might be trapped in pain right now. They're in emotional woundedness, and maybe they're wondering, what step can I take, like, starting now? Yes. Listen to me, my friend. If I could say one thing to you, it doesn't have to end like this. It doesn't have to go on. I have counseled with people in their 80s, and I've counseled with people in elementary school. It's never too late. It's never too far gone. There is no poison, no toxin, no distress, no pain that Jesus cannot heal. And and he has people positioned in the body of Christ to help with that healing. If Jesus is called the wonderful counselor, then why can't he have counselors that do wonderful counsel? And I urge you, A, read this book, find this book, ask God for courage, face, face your life, face your past, deal with it and get someone to pray with you and help you and counsel you through and come out on the other side with an integrated, merciful life filled with acceptance and balance and hope and not these toxic, toxic flows that just spoil marriages and relationships. Ask God for courage and he will give it. Mm -hmm. Mark, a lot of people think that life is good and God is hard. Is that Mm -hmm. correct or is that a bad belief? That is that is a very bad belief, and I, that's interesting. I actually have that same quote in the book. Many people believe life is good and God is hard. The fact of the matter is life is hard, but God is good. There are hard things in life. I'm, I never make light of that. One of the stories in the book is a, a, a high-powered executive, I mean a, a big shot, who had become so toxic his marriage has fallen to pieces. He's acting out sexually, everything, and he only comes to counseling because he gets desperate. His courage is born of desperation, and he finally comes to counseling, prowling back through it year after year after year. We finally discovered at the age of 14, he was violently raped, and he had spent his life nailing that under the floorboards. 
and and all that abscess poison is flowing out, flowing out the whole time. And and people talk about toxic masculinity. That's where he was. Wow. Overly overly aggressive, sexually aggressive, trying to prove to himself because the toxin of shame always rests in a deception. And the lie was, if you allow yourself to be raped, only women can be raped. So he spent his life trying to prove that he was a man because that lie kept jumping out of the closet every time somebody turned the lights off. Mm. When he finally was able to see that the shame was not his, it was on the person who committed the rape. It changed everything. Mm -hmm. That's transformational. That's transformational, my brother. Yeah, yeah. And is there a word you have for pastors? I mean, you were in a situation where you were greeted by a pastor who two hours later took his life. I mean, obviously, there's going to be, you know, maybe a word of encouragement to pastors just to have awareness as to how unhappy some people might be. I I would have two words of encouragement personally to pastors. There is nothing at all wrong and everything right about getting counseling ourselves. I went through counseling. I said that to a group of pastors one time. I went through counseling, and there was a gasp in the room. And afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, why did you get counseling? I said, because I needed it. So there's nothing wrong with that. Second thing is, you can be one of the four friends on the rooftop. Mm. Maybe you don't know how to do counseling. Maybe that's not your forte. That's fine. But find a way to lower them into the presence of Jesus. Maybe you know how to rip roof tiles. Amen. Amen. Now, Mark, we we only have like a minute left, and this is such a sensitive issue. With and I know that we have stirred the pot a little bit. So, would you pray for uh, people that are now feeling a little exposed and vulnerable, and they might need to pick up your book and start doing some hard work? Yes. Heavenly Father, I come before you for every listener by any means that will ever hear this broadcast. And I pray, God, that they will find in you the hope and strength and encouragement to face reality, to deal with it, that you are good and loving, kind and healing God, and that scriptural therapy can transform their lives and their relationships. I lift them up to you, God. Pour your Holy Spirit into their lives, marriages, families, and relationships, that they may be well as you desire them to be, and it is your will for them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark, you're always a great guest. Thank you so much for doing the show. It was always an honor. God bless you. Thank you. Mark Rutland's been my guest. His book is called Courage to be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. Mark Rutland, R-U-T-L-A-N-D, once again is the author. And that wraps up our show. Thanks to all my guests. What a great day it was. I just loved the whole show Stephen Mansfield and uh, Nina Rosner, David Wheaton and Mark Rutland. Really a great lineup. Thanks to all my guests and thank you, the listener, who shows up and keeps, uh, I I can keep you company and you can hopefully learn stuff because I'm learning stuff. I got my notebook open every day. I'm taking all kinds of notes because I'm here to grow in my faith just like you. So have a great night, everybody. When you lay your head on the pillow, just know God's working out that great plan in your life. Thanks so much. I'll see you tomorrow.